It's a joy for me to be back with you this week. I guess this is your quiz. I said last week that the Christmas story is what? It's really a love story, yes. We were separated from God by sin. We were rebelling. We were running away and deserving of judgment, but God loved us anyway. God loved us despite our situation, and He pursued us. We desperately needed a rescue. We desperately needed a Savior. And so God came. The true and living God left heaven and took flesh to save us from sin and death and hell. The Bible has over a hundred different titles for Jesus, but I think my favorite is probably Emmanuel, God with us. It's a simple reminder that God came to us. He stepped out of heaven and into human history to provide a remedy for sin once and for all. God promised that the Savior would come, the prophets proclaimed it, and the people watched and waited. And in the fullness of time, His promise was fulfilled. But it wasn't what you might expect. Jesus, the Son of God, left the glories of heaven, but He wasn't born into rich and lavish surroundings. He came as a king, but He wasn't born with pomp and circumstance. The Son of God came humbly. He was born in a stable. Nothing but a manger for a bed and strips of cloth to keep Him warm. The first Christmas was quiet and unassuming. A mother and a father and a little baby lying on the hay. So how did God choose to announce the coming of this Savior? Did He send word to the palace or the temple? Did He take out an ad in the Jerusalem Times? Did He send someone walking up and down the streets proclaiming the news? No, He, uh, he turned His eyes to the fields outside of Bethlehem. And He brought a message to the shepherds who were watching their flocks. These simple shepherds became the first ones to hear the proclamation of the gospel. And I want us to take a look at their story together. So if you want to follow along, uh, we'll be in uh, Luke chapter 2. And I've titled this message, Through the Eyes of the Shepherds. And I don't know if I can actually make this thing work. Where do I have to point it? They'll do it? Okay, good. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Okay? I'm so techy, right? Shepherding was a thankless job. A thankless job. We don't know much about the shepherds in the Christmas story. We don't know their names. We don't even know how many of them there were. But we know they were making their living in the fields outside of town, 
out in the hill country near Bethlehem. And we do know a lot about what shepherding was like in Bible times. Shepherding was hard work. Uh, Sheep can't take care of themselves. If you're a shepherd, that's your job. You have to lead the sheep to water and pasture land during the daytime. And then guess what? You have to lead them back when it's night. Uh, You have to chase after the wayward sheep. You have to carry the sheep that are sick and lame. Uh, You have to protect the sheep. There are lions in the hills. There are bears in the hills. And you, you have to fight them off. (laughs) You and a rock and a sling. (laughs) As a shepherd... You're signing up for long hot days and long, cold, lonely nights. That's a shepherd's life. Oh, and I should probably mention one more thing. Sheep stink. (laughs) Their wool is oily and it has a bad smell to it. And to be honest, sheep really aren't good groomers. So they get dirt and and things get caught in their coats and they stink. And unfortunately for the shepherds, they were around the sheep all day and all night, carrying them, touching them, uh, and they would pick up the stink from the sheep. And that's why shepherds were never invited to fancy dinner parties. They were usually dirty and sweaty, and they smelled like sheep. So shepherds lived on the fringes of society. They weren't uh, actually outcasts, but they weren't being welcomed with open arms either. Uh, And I think that's why God chose to share the good news with them first. These were ordinary, hardworking men God could have taken the news anywhere, right? He could have uh, gone to the rich, the powerful, the famous, but He chose the shepherds. And He chose the shepherds so we would understand that the gospel is for everyone. I want to share a verse, uh, Colossians 3.11. Look how big that font is. I've learned one thing so far, and that's make the font bigger. (laughs) So Colossians 3.11, this is Paul speaking through the Holy Spirit. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Jesus doesn't draw distinctions. He's not looking at the color of your skin. He's not looking at your net worth or what your resume says. Jesus came to save sinners, and that's every one of us. Before we come to Jesus, we have the stink of sin. But that didn't keep Him from coming. He came to save you and me and all of the stinky sinners in the world. Those shepherds in the field are a reminder that God's love isn't reserved for a few He came for everyone who would believe. 
Luke tells us that these shepherds are out in the field. It's their night vigil. They're watching over their flock. It's been a, a long day. I'm, I'm picturing them sitting on the ground, taking a well-deserved rest. They're probably warming themselves by the fire. It's an ordinary day. You know what those are like. Just like a thousand other ordinary days. But all of that is about to change. God is ready to speak. And what Luke shows us next is an angelic message. An angelic message. I can't even imagine what was going through the minds of those shepherds when the angel of God appeared. Luke says that he was glowing with the radiance of God's glory. Uh, Look with me at uh, verse 9. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You know, one moment, it's just another humdrum day, and, and the next moment, there's a heavenly messenger right in their midst. And the shepherds were afraid. They were terrified. And that's why the angels' first words were meant to calm their hearts. Don't be afraid. Do you know how many times the command, don't be afraid, appears in the Bible? 365 times. Isn't that ironic? (laughs) One time for every day of the year. Uh, I think God might know something. See, life is hard. And life is scary. (laughs) And God knows we need a daily reminder that we don't have to be crippled with fear. He's with us. He's in control of every situation in our lives. And forgive me for a little bit of a detour, but I want you to turn with me to, uh, to Psalm 23. This psalm was written by David. And you may know that before he came to the throne, before he became the king of Israel, David was a shepherd. He kept watch over his father's flock. And years later, the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to a wonderful truth. God was his shepherd. The same way David watched over the flocks and cared for the flocks, God watched over David and cared for David. And there's so much that's packed into uh, the fourth verse of the 23rd Psalm. Listen to what it says. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't have to be afraid. God is my shepherd. He's with me. His rod and His staff will guide my steps and keep me safe. I know that. And I will not be afraid. David got it. And I wonder if the shepherds might have remembered that verse. David was a kindred soul, right? A fellow shepherd. Maybe they remembered that verse when the angel told them, Don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news. 
This news is so important and so world-changing that I want you to be calm. I want you to be focused. I don't want you to miss a word of it. And then he made the announcement that changed the course of history. The Savior has been born. The Messiah, promised by God, has come. The people of God were watching and waiting for the Savior. They knew that when the Savior came, He would accomplish an awesome work of God. When the Savior came, He would bring God's favor. He would preach the good news. He would heal the sick and the brokenhearted. He would comfort those who were hurting. And when the Savior came, He would bring victory over sin. He would actually bear our sins and make it possible for us to have peace with God. And that's good news. That's good news. But the wait, the wait was excruciating. The last book in the Old Testament was written by the prophet Malachi. God spoke through Malachi and then... Silence. God went silent for four hundred years. And now He's speaking again to this ragtag group of shepherds out in the field. These shepherds, they're not Bible scholars, but believe me, they understood everything the angel was saying. And they were filled with awe and excitement knowing that God was fulfilling His promise. Today, the angel said. The Savior was born today. And He was born in a town that's walking distance away. And the angel invited them to come and to see for themselves. This was the biggest event in history. And not only was God inviting them to come to the show, He was giving them front row seats. So it doesn't take them long to decide what they're going to do. Let's go, right? They huddle together. Let's go. Let's see this thing for ourselves. Everything that God's told us, let's go. And they hurried off. In the original language, this word means immediately. So, there's no waiting around. There's no lollygagging. Let's go. Let's go now. They understood the urgency. And they hurried off in search of the baby. And that brings us to the next point. A diligent search. A diligent search. You know, this is one part of the story we overlook The shepherds had to search for the Savior. Let's uh, take a look together at verse 12. This is the angel speaking. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The angels gave the shepherds a sign. They didn't give them a street address, didn't give them directions to follow, a sign. A baby, a manger, and strips of cloth. And the rest was up to them. They had to make a search. They had to go house to house. And they would know when they found the Savior because of the sign. 
And it's a reminder to me that walking with God takes faith. When we begin our walk of faith, God doesn't plug our destination into MapQuest and print out a colored map for us that shows all of the stops and the turns and all of the restaurants and hotels along the way. He shows us what we need. Maybe a step. Maybe two or three. But we have to trust God for what we can't see. Do you remember Abraham, the father of faith? God told Abraham to leave his country and his people, everything that was familiar and comfortable. And and here's exactly what God said. And go to a land I will show you. Did Abraham know where he was going? No. Did Abraham know the route he was supposed to take? No. Did Abraham go anyway? Yes. (laughs) That's faith. But that's a real struggle for us, isn't it? We like certainty. We like planning things out. It makes us feel like we have control. But the people of God walk by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. You can memorize this as you sit in your pews today, okay? This is really short, and you don't have to be a, a Bible interpreter to understand what this means. For we live by faith, not by sight. It's not about what we see. It's not about fooling ourselves into thinking we have control. It's about trusting God. It's about knowing and trusting God's character. He's good. He's faithful. He's working to accomplish good things in our lives. So we walk with confidence even when we can't see what's lying ahead. These shepherds trusted God. They had a sign, and that's all they needed. So they hurried off, and they searched, and they kept searching until they found the baby. And when they left, they were changed men. I want you to see the next thing in the story. A heartfelt sharing. So I think this is interesting. Luke really doesn't tell us what happened when the shepherds visited. We know they arrived. We know they saw uh, the, the, the sign. They saw the Savior with their own eyes. But Luke doesn't tell us what happened. He's got a lot to say, though, about what happened after they left. And the first thing we see is in verse 17. When they had seen Him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. It says they spread the word. I mean, they actually began walking up to people and telling them everything they had seen, everything they had heard. They became the world's first evangelists. Go back with me to the upper room. And then we have the tomb. 
And then we have the risen Jesus. And just before Jesus is taken up to heaven, He gathers His disciples and He gives them a command. We know it as the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel. He left them with a job to do. You know me, now go and tell. You've received me as your Savior and your Lord. Now go and tell. And it's easy to say, oh, that's for preachers. That's meant for preachers. But it's not. Every believer is an evangelist. If you've welcomed Jesus into your heart and life, He's changed you. You used to be dead in your sins. But Jesus brings life. You used to be a rebel and a runaway. But Jesus makes you a child of the Most High God. You used to be under God's judgment. But Jesus brings forgiveness. And He changes your citizenship. You have the promise of heaven. And you have to share that. You have the gospel. You have the words of life. Why in the world would you keep that to yourself? These shepherds, they weren't preachers, but they wanted everyone to know this baby was the Savior. This baby was the Messiah. They wanted everyone to hear the news for themselves. And I pray that we would have a passionate desire to share Jesus like these shepherds. I'm afraid we spend too much time worrying about things like political correctness and what other people might say. We end up being paralyzed. We know we should share, but we don't. And I think God's heart breaks. God, give us the desire to share Jesus with a world that's lost and dying. God, help us to be the shepherds of our generation. The shepherds met Jesus and they left sharing, but they also left praising. In the shepherds we see a heartfelt praise. I mentioned praise last week. The shepherds go back to their sheep and their hard work in the fields, but there's something different. And in verse 20, we see what this difference looks like. The shepherds returned. How did they return? Glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I want to stop for a minute and suggest to you that we don't always have a good understanding of what praise means. We, uh, we think praising God means lifting our hands or, or singing a praise song. And those are ways we can express our praise. But, but I like Ken Ham's definition of praise. I think he gets it. Praise means giving God the recognition He deserves. 
Praise means giving God the recognition He deserves. Whatever we do or say that lifts God up so that He's admired and honored and revered, that's praise. There's really two parts to praise. We have to engage our minds and our hearts. I ran across a blog by a pastor from Crestline, California. I wanted to share a quote uh, that says it better than I ever could. This is what he says. With our minds, we must understand who God is. Otherwise, we aren't worshiping the true God. But also, when you understand who God is and what He's done in sending His own Son to die for your sins, it affects your heart. It fills you with joy and thankfulness. It humbles you to realize that your sin put Him there. It motivates you to follow Christ and please Him with all your heart. And then here's the the most challenging thing He says. If you can think about what Jesus did on the cross and shrug it off, you're not a Christian. Do you understand what God done for you and the terrible, terrible price that was paid. When you think about the nails and the spear and the crown of thorns, do you understand He suffered all of it for you? For you. He didn't do anything wrong. He was without sin. But every stripe Every bruise, every drop of blood was because of your sin. Your sin. But He did it willingly. And He did it lovingly. Do you understand that? He loves you that much. The baby in the manger grew up to be the man on the cross. Dying for you. He was born a Savior, but He had to die to win that salvation for you. And then He rose again, victoriously, so that we could have victory over death. The shepherds had a lot to praise God for. But honestly, I think you and I have even more reason to give praise and glory to God. We see the cross. His work began at the manger, but His destination was always the cross. Sin has a heavy, heavy price tag. And He paid it on the cross. The only way to come to Jesus is through the cross. Believing that Jesus is Savior and Lord, believing that He paid the price for your sins and conquered sin once and for all, and then receiving Him into our own lives. And when we do, there's praise. There's a praise that comes naturally. And day by day, as we walk with God, there's praise. Good days, bad days, it shouldn't matter. We can still see the cross. And we can still see His saving work in our lives. And there's praise. These shepherds left the stable and they went back to their work and their families. 
But they were sharing what they had seen. And they were praising God for it. When we leave church today, we'll probably go back to our homes and our routines. For many of us, tomorrow we'll wake up, we'll go to work, or go to school. But these shepherds remind us that we carry with us the most valuable gift of all. We, we bring the gospel. We have the gospel. We've met the Savior. We've experienced His life-giving work. And we should share it. And we should give God praise, the praise He deserves. So let me ask you a question. And really, it's the most important question that you'll ever be asked in your life. Have you, have you met the Savior? Have you come to the cross and said yes to Jesus? I can't think of a better time of year to come to Jesus. Jesus was the first and the greatest Christmas gift. He's God's gift to you. And I want to invite you to come to Jesus today. Say yes to Jesus today. And then for the believers in the room, you don't get off the hook. Let me challenge you. Are you willing to step up and be a shepherd? You don't have to be a seminary trained evangelist. But you can share the gospel. You can share from your heart what God has done in your life. Will you do that? And will you give God a heartfelt praise? Will you lift Him up? Will you give Him the honor and the recognition He deserves? Will He receive that today from your mouth, from your lips? For all He's done. Will you do that? Will you be the shepherd God wants you to be? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer together. God, we, uh, we thank You for those shepherds in the field. We pray that their story would encourage us to be shepherds in our own homes and communities, to be shepherds in this generation. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room who doesn't know You. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would move in their heart. God, that You would speak to their heart, that You would draw them tenderly. And then, God, for the uh, Christians among us, those who know You, God, I just pray that You would stir their hearts, that the Gospel wouldn't lie dormant, that it wouldn't be a buried treasure, but God, that we would share it daily and that we would give You praise, give You glory for who You are and for all the amazing things You've done. We love You. We thank You. We look forward to what You'll do in our midst. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.